This is Creators in Vietnam with Tuesi and Moni. We aim to inspire you on your journey by interviewing creative entrepreneurs across Vietnam who make a positive impact on their community and their own lives. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Today we finally have a chance to meet Neil, the person behind the scenes of 7 million bikes. He shares with us how he found the courage to get on stage and start stand-up comedy in Vietnam and how he has the superpower to make the most out of any situation and think positive at all times. I'm sure his story will inspire you to just get started on your passion, no matter how big is the fear for real growth. Welcome back to Creators in Saigon. Today, Moni hosting with my co-host here, Tracy. Yay, hello. And Neil from 7 Million Bikes. Hello, Neil. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm very happy to have you here. So, Neil is from 7 Million Bikes that provides English entertainment through podcasts, comedy shows, and events in Vietnam. So very excited to hear about your story, how you do all of those things in Saigon. I'm amazed, at least, <laughs> at least yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's been a long time coming. I've I've heard about you for about a year now. <laughs> 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 we've uh, we've uh, all like really, you know, you have your podcast, and like you know, we have creators in Vietnam now. And Dana always talked about you, and I was like, oh, who is this Neil? <laughs> <laughs> and so it's great to have you today. No, I'm excited to be on. So I kind of mentioned before we uh, have a history with creators in Vietnam. You know, me and Dana met. We were just talking like way back early 2019 we randomly connected on one of the expat groups with a shared interest in podcast and neither of us had started and we met and we had a beer and we were just kind of talking podcasting i could see how dedicated she was as you probably know you know yes. she had like folders and all this research and stuff and i was like i have a microphone i'm just gonna start, like, i'm just gonna start talking you know so everyone's different and so some people are very very well organized i'm maybe not the most no, i'm organized but I'm more just like, let's get it done. Yeah, yeah. So we connected way, way back then. So it was exciting. As we just said, it. we started May 2019. You guys started September 2019. And at that point, wow. there was 2019. There was, I don't know if you know, there was like a flourish of podcasts all at once. So at, at the time, the only one that I could see that was in English language was the Saginaw podcast, which mm -hmm. had been going for a while and is still going And then I started and then Dana started and then there was Falling Jackfruit, which I don't think is still continuing. And there was a couple others. So just suddenly like around 2019, it was that <laughs> parallel thinking where suddenly everyone was like, let's do a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think it's amazing because it's such a nice channel to show actually what you are interested in. So before we go into actually how you started this podcast, I really would like to learn more about you about Neil who grew up in Glasgow what made you become who you are today really like this doer who is want to do so many things at once so tell us Neil uh, how it all started so really <laughs> to be honest uh, yeah, I like the question summer camp I went to an American summer camp and it changed my life absolutely so I was bullied in high school bullied in primary school really shy really introverted to the point where I remember the day I started university, we had a big kind of a, a icebreakers and all of this yeah. stuff. And they were like, oh, you're going to do like a, a performance piece. This is your group and you have to perform. Mm. And I was just like, I, I wanted to throw up at the thought of performing. 
Like I, I had to go and speak to the lecturer like quietly and I was like, I can't do this. Like I don't want to do it. And she's like, it's okay, just you help your group. You don't need to perform. So I was like the only <laughs> one in the group who didn't get yeah. up and do whatever. It was just like a silly performance thing, you know, and other people like, yeah, yeah let's come on, we're going to do this. And they're all excited. <laughs> and I was like, just, so to me, like I kind of forget if I go all the way back, the, the thought of being up in front of people made me want to throw up <laughs> and I couldn't physically do it. Yeah. And then near the end of university, I went to a summer camp in America, which is quite a common thing in Europe. It's mm -hmm. like a company called Camp America and you get placed and you go for a summer yeah, in America. So like for others to know, it's like a camp where you help out and get paid for it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a yeah. full job. Yeah, you get paid. You it, you know, you can do anything. Yeah. I was a football coach in inverted commas because I, I, <laughs> it wasn't really like coaching. It was just like, here's a ball, go and kick it. But I was the, I was the football coach. Yeah. But going to America like literally changed my life because as you guys will know, Americans, they're just so outgoing. They're so friendly. They're so lovely. They're so encouraging. They are the most positive people on the planet. But also coupled with that, this camp was just a beautiful place. It's still like a special place in my heart. It's kind of this place where the kid who would be bullied at school would be best friends with the coolest kid at this summer camp. Everyone was equal. Yeah. And I would see. see that. I would watch like this kid who would be like, you know, the cool kid. He's like really good looking <laughs> and all of this. And he's got, everyone loves him. And he'd take the like kid that was a bit weird and a bit strange, like, and they'd be best friends. So it was like that. It was just this summer camp was just a beautiful, beautiful place. So I ended up doing that for five summers, but I mean, almost instantly, like it changed my life because suddenly I gained confidence. Suddenly you're encouraged to perform and things like yeah. this. So I ended up starting doing like getting on stage and playing guitar and you have to do like little skits and performances and things like this in front of like 300 kids and stuff. And because it's kids as well, you just drop your neuroses or whatever. Yeah. You're just going to do it, you know, because mm -hmm. you want to entertain and you want to have fun with the, <laughs> with the campus. So that literally is probably the, what put me on the trajectory to now where I'm doing a podcast and doing comedy <laughs> shows and things like this. Oh, wow. I can imagine that when you go to a camp that is, that is not your usual surrounding, basically you can start new, kind of. So in school, I imagine that your classmates know you and I've been there as well. And we somehow, we get shy. Mm. But then when you are in that environment of being in a camp, you are not the, the shy Neil who, who is not on stage. Mm. What was that uh, different nudge that you That's had? a good point. I think because you, you lose all that baggage, right? Because yeah. like you say, yeah. you, all your friends know you. And I've still got my best friends that I grew up with are still my best friends to this day. And I still talk to them all the time. So those guys are amazing. I love those guys. So it was never my core group of friends. But yeah, you lose all that baggage from... Everyone who knows you of being bullied or the stupid things you've yeah. done or, or whatever or whatnot. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I think it's just that kind of, you can just start fresh and without can, that bad. You can shed those insecurities a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Really <laughs> authentically a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I can vibe with that, definitely. And when was the moment when you start to implement that, what you feel and learn in the camp into your everyday life to actually mm. grow as a person, to grow beyond that shy kid? Yeah, I mean, it was almost immediate. I remember I came back from that first summer and I was like a different person. And you guys have probably experienced this as well, being from different countries. You know, when you, you first leave your home country mm. and then you go back and you want to tell your friends everything that you've done and yeah. all these crazy experiences. Yeah. And I remember coming back and they just didn't give a fuck, you know. Like, they don't have the swearing. I don't know if we can swear. I don't swear too often. <laughs> but um, yeah. 
so I came back and they just don't, they're not interested, you know. <laughs> you want to tell them everything and they're like, they want to talk about what happened at the football on the weekend. They want to talk about how drunk yeah. they got. And that's fine. Like I said, I'm still best friends with these guys, but it was a massive kind of slap in the face when you get so excited to come back. But mm-hmm. so immediately I was kind of more confident, more outgoing, a totally different outlook on life. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Travel does that. Like it changes your perspective. And then you, I, I, I feel that I left very young when I was 19. And every time I would go back to France, I would, literally see people stuck in the past or like not moving because it's always the same like you know habits it's the same routines and then you come back with all those new experience but they don't have that perspective so they go like yeah that's not that interesting yeah absolutely (laughs) but you saw what happened on tv yesterday (laughs) and they're like (laughs) yeah like i was shocked when i got back and they're talking about like the reality tv show last night and things like i'm like i just went to summer camp and met all these people from across the world and we just did this and we did that and i went windsurfing and i'm like i thought i was gonna find a dead body in the water that's another story like you know like yeah you've got all these things that have happened to you in a short amount of time they're like did you see big brother last night (laughs) chantel got kicked off i don't know who the hell chantel is but okay you know so the time of big brother big brother i mean i love big brother when i was younger don't get me wrong but you get to a point where you're like it was yeah actually like it was reality tv when i when i left to canada and i came back everybody was just talking about love story and uh, it was love story for us (laughs) (laughs) anyway (laughs) yeah good stuff and how did you find the people you actually can relate to more because i think that you traveled a lot as well Mm. where the journey took you after the camps to kind of follow on from what your point is and what you're talking about it's meeting these people right it's just amazing and so i don't want to like put down someone who hasn't left their home country and who as i said many of my friends as well but like right now i'm sitting with a french vietnamese hungarian vietnamese in saigon and the amount of people that i meet from different cultures countries races i just i'm amazed at the amount of people that i've met from all over the world and that i talk to through the podcast as well which is nice and then I think about these people who've never really left their home country and you've met the same people. So I talk about this a lot. I'm very aware that I'm a very white person and that I come from a very white background. Mm-hmm. Most of the people I knew were all Anglo-Saxon white people with a few Indians and a few Pakistanis. But apart from that, I'm from a very white culture. So I'm very aware of that. But then I think about my people I grew up with like I don't know if they I don't know maybe they are maybe they're not but are they aware of that that they are very white you know because they're still in this very white environment whereas I feel very lucky that I've traveled the world and I've met people from from all over you know which does give you that travel with that perspective broadens the horizons and makes you more aware of the world and things like that I don't want to use the word woke but uh, makes you you become a bit more woke you know yeah 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 definitely I think it allows you to, uh, depending on how, because I've seen a lot of people traveling in Australia, for example, but it's just the beginnings of backpacking and it doesn't bring that level of like emotional maturity that comes with traveling. But I think it, it, it comes later on with a few travels, with a few actual, because traveling is not always beautiful. It's actually the problems that happen during travels that really forge that, that exactly. character, that, that personality, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's, it's those deep problems that later on becomes really good memories like fuck i went like you know you don't talk about like the nice time you talk about shit i got lost in cambodia <laughs> and i ended up in that forest and i survived and those are the moments that really forges you i think absolutely 110 yeah. percent. because i know i'm 
it's kind of like you realize it later on how much you romanticize these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. So my best example, so I actually lived in New York City for like five months one time. Random story, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> now, when I think about my time in New York City and when I tell people about it, I have nothing but amazing things to say and I'm like, oh my God, it was so amazing. Yeah. And then I remember, <laughs> it was the worst time of my life. <laughs> like yeah, literally yeah. like the worst time of my life. Like uh, day to day, I, w- I was so broke at one point, I was eating onion and lettuce sandwiches. Oh, yeah. I moved there for a girl, she broke up with me. I was meant to have a job, but it didn't work out. So I'd like, I, I was like the ghetto pretty much one night. One night I had to live, sleep on this, in this apartment that I didn't even know who owned it. Some friend was like, oh, they've got a spare bed. There was cat hair everywhere. It was way out and like, it was the train that took you there was the Jay-Z line, which because that's where Jay-Z was from, was at the end of this line. And I got there and it's like something out of a movie. It's like dark at night. Yeah. Again, I'm the only white person, I'm this wee skinny white guy from Scotland walking down the street. So, you know, but I never really think about that. I was like, oh, I lived in New York. It was amazing. I had so much fun. And I'm like, Man. I'm like no, it wasn't. It was the worst time of your life. But like you're saying, yeah. you, you just like, make you grow as a person yeah. and things like that. And there's yeah. so many experiences from traveling like that. Yeah, right? those are the best times. Yeah. This is why we're so lucky in Saigon, right? Because there is a difference between we're all in my peer group and probably yours as well, right? We're all kind of expats. We've all left mm. our home country. Like we're all the same. Yeah. Like I've got a couple of Vietnamese friends, but the majority of my friends are all yeah. travelers, expats, come from somewhere else. So you've all got that perspective, which is pretty different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a nice it's a nice perspective. Yeah. I've I worked with international schools when I was in Canada for ten years and I, I was in that environment the, the whole time. It's true that there is something about traveling that definitely reconnects you with the present moment. Naturally, you have to live in the present moment. And so I think that's why we shed those insecurities. And that's why I think even when you came to Vietnam, you were attracted to not certainly a country, but mostly to same personalities, to people that were vibing the same. And yeah. I think that's why we all end up close to touting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also like there's a difference when we travel, like, you know, you just like a weekend travel and stuff like that. But the, what we talk about really is the the deep experience mm. of living somewhere else yeah. for a period of time. Yeah. That's when our insecurities somehow they just emerge and <laughs> challenges come where you're like, I don't know if I can handle this. And, and that's the growth that we are all been through. And I think that's what reaches yeah. our perspective in our life. Yeah. So, Anil, the next question will be, what brought you to Vietnam? A plane. Plane, yes. <laughs> Good Simple. one. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. There was a car before that. <laughs> um, no, so uh, my wife and I came here in 2015 for a holiday and to visit her sister and her husband. And so we traveled the length of Vietnam. We went everywhere from Sapa down to the Mekong Delta, everywhere in between over about two and a half weeks. And we just, you know, fell in love with the place as everyone does. Most people, not everyone, but most people do. And we went back home to New Zealand, which is our home actually. And that weekend we just sought out Vietnamese food. And we'd lived there for like two and a half years and we didn't realize there was like a Vietnamese restaurant on nearly every corner because <laughs> we'd never been looking for it. And suddenly it was like, oh, there's one there. Oh, there's another one. Oh, wait, what? So we spent that weekend just like going to all these Vietnamese restaurants, drinking Vietnamese coffee. Even one place had ba 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 beer. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> but it was like eight dollars, eight New Zealand dollars yeah. for a Baba Baba beer, which is like, it's 50, it's just a ridiculous amount of, it's like 120,000 dong for a Baba Baba beer. We knew they were like 15,000 dong, so we were like, right, we're not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. But so pretty much from that moment, we were like, well, I'd never really been to Southeast Asia. That I think Vietnam was my first time. I'd been to Bali before that once for my honeymoon, I should remember that. And then we went to came to Vietnam, but I hadn't really traveled around Southeast Asia. My wife had a little bit. She'd been to China and things like that. So we're like, right, let's plan a year's trip away. Um, so we saved for a year. And then we're like, right, let's see how long the money can last. We'll do our teaching certification so we have that in our mm-hmm. back pocket. We'll travel and we'll teach. And then when we come back to New Zealand, we can volunteer to teach English, you know, because we'll go back yeah. to our normal jobs and things like this. So we did a month in Thailand, a month in Malaysia, Got to Vietnam to do a CELTA uh, certification. Uh-huh. So our plan was to be here for six weeks. So four weeks for the course, <laughs> one week before, one week mm-hmm. after, and then continue on. But we met this amazing bunch of people doing the course that some of them are still friends with to this day. Um, and then through the course, you you kind of automatically get offered a job. That's kind of like why they offer the course, yeah. right? Yeah. But also... We were really naive. We kind of had this notion that we were just going to like get a cer- certification and then go teach on the beach somewhere or something <laughs> like that, you know, like just kind of travel around <laughs> Thailand and we'll just, oh, we'll teach for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and now I feel like that's just such a naive, selfish point of view as well, because for the for the student's point of view, that's just not helpful at all to like, sh- it's just this great white savior complex that you're just going to show up and be like, I'm going to teach for a couple of weeks and and move on. So when we started looking for jobs, everything was like a six-month contract minimum. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. most of it was a year's contract. And I was like, Adri, this is like a real job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, my God. English teaching is a real job. Yeah. Can you believe this? <laughs> no, it's so naive. Like, I feel so bad about it. So most of the decisions in my life have happened just kind of naturally. And mm-hmm. I've never really had to decide anything. And you just go with the flow and it's always worked out. But this was one moment where we had to make a decision. So we had to sit down and we even talked with our friends and stuff. Like, do we... I accept a job here in Vietnam, which was like a year's contract, or do we continue on traveling? And then that's going to lead back to our life in New Zealand, or what are we going to do? And it was, that was a big decision. We normally just go with the flow, but this was one where we had to be like, what do we do? <laughs> and it was really difficult. It took like quite a while, and eventually, like, okay, look, let's, let's not sign a full-time contract. We'll start on a part-time contract. Yeah. If we like it, because we'd never taught before, right? We'd just done the training. Mm-hmm. If we like it, we'll, you know, continue mm-hmm. on. Because we wanted to teach adults as well, but it was teaching kids. And we're like, I want to teach kids. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but anyway, we did it. We absolutely loved it. Even though, again, this was terrifying. My first ever class I taught, I wanted to run away at the break time. I went into the toilet and I sat on the toilet. And I was like, not not like with my pants down. Like, <laughs> like my pants on, sat on the toilet, and I was like, what am I doing? I cannot do this. Like I had a kid at class of nineteen kids, and I was like, should I just leave? Yeah. Should I just like text them and be like, I can't do this? Like it was that yeah. traumatic. But I went back, I did it, and it was fine. We ended up loving it, so we ended up signing the full time contract, which became a year. Then we ended up signing another contract, which became two years. Then I got a job as the community network manager which is more my career is in charities and fundraising things like this so that became another two years then seven million bikes became a thing and so now we're for a country we came here for six weeks and we're now in our sixth year here 
but that seems like a pretty common thing for many people if you speak to yeah. them they're like yeah we came for a holiday and like 20 <laughs> years later the, the thing we came, you know? so that's yeah, probably yeah. going to be yours as well yeah so you're you're here for the long run now i guess you still don't know you're like oh no another six months well <laughs> no we are here for the long run now the difficult thing with vietnam as you know is they don't offer a pass to residency mm, yeah. so i know people who've been here for 10 years still haven't renewed their visas every year mm, like yeah. we were in new zealand we are permanent residents of New Zealand and we mm. lived there for three years. Yeah. So we were able to immediately, as soon as we got there, there was a path to residency. And mm. you know, we had to you know, do all the, the legal framework and all of that to become yeah. permanent residents, but there's a pathway. Whereas yeah. here in Vietnam, this is what I've figured it's, out why if you ever speak to anyone, like, are you here for, are you going to live here forever? Nobody can say yes if you're, if you're not, yeah. unless you're married to a sense, Vietnamese yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no pathway to, to living here, unfortunately. Yeah, which I think yeah. hopefully, I hopefully yeah. they will change eventually. It's in the brink of changing, I think. Oh, really? In some way, or like mm. uh, hopefully, because they they're opening to the world. But mm. it, it's true that Southeast Asia doesn't have a, a history of immigration in in mm. any sense. So they're like immigrants. What is that? Like yeah, all people yeah. coming in, they wanted to stay, and they don't even have a. I think they're. A retirement visa. I was visa. just about to say, yeah, I, I learned they, this recently. Like, they don't have a retirement visa, which yeah. I found is a common kind of thing. Which in, in Thailand, yeah. they have more. Thailand, like, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah you got loads of money and you want to come spend it? Yeah, come <laughs> retire here. Like, it's, come spend your retirement money. But then, but then countries like, you know, Australia, Canada, New Zealand are, are made a lot on, like, immigrant labor, really. Yeah. So they have all those systems in place where you can get in, like, you know, yeah. express entry and all those things. Which city were you in uh, in New Zealand? Wellington. Wellington, mm. oh, a beautiful city. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. If I wasn't in Vietnam, I think I would be in New Zealand at this point. I've yeah. loved it. Also this, so I hated Vietnam at first when we lived here. The first year we were here, I yeah. hated it. I couldn't wait to go back to New Zealand. I was literally uh-huh. counting down the days. I was like saying to my wife, like, can we just leave? Can we? Uh-huh. She's like, no, no, stick it out. Come on, a little bit longer. I was like, no, let's just go home. I want to go back to New Zealand. I missed yeah. it so much. Like, literally on a daily basis. I've never had a love for a place mm-hmm. like I have New Zealand and Wellington. It was like, this is yeah. where I want to go back to. But <laughs> over time, Vietnam gets you, right? And so after <laughs> like a year or so. So what was the turning point? I can't even remember a specific turning point, to be honest. I'm just trying to imagine this, like Neil waking up, looking out the windows, uh-huh. like all these bikes, oh my God, like so loud, it's dirty and everything. Yeah. And you just like don't like to be here. Yeah, he did everything about it because, you know, we lived in District 4, which that was probably one of the turning points was getting <laughs> out of District 4. So we loved it, the experience that it was, but uh, living anywhere but D4 really pretty much is like, so, you know, expats get so much shit for living in Taudien and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I, I've got, like, a, my own thoughts on that, which goes to, like, you think about even around the world where you have Little Italy or you have, like, mm-hmm. the Greek yeah. town or you have Chinatown. Immigrants, and we are all immigrants, yeah. live together. Yeah. They form their own communities. And you don't, like, talk shit about all the Chinese people going to live together in Chinatown or, or mm-hmm. the Italians gathering. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, that's what you do. But for some reason, people here like to be like, oh, Italians where all the expats live. It's like, yeah, that's like what immigrants <laughs> do. <laughs> they find each other because they need to have a sense of community with people yeah, yeah, that yeah. they speak the same language. Like I lived in Australia and I met like 
people that had immigrated from Greece like 50 mm -hmm. years ago mm -hmm. that still couldn't speak English. In Canada, it's the same. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, it's yeah, not Portuguese like a problem. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, I mean, this is just what, it's the second generation, right, that, that speak the yeah. language and that integrate more. Anyway, this is a whole other thing. It's, it's a whole bigger story. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. I wasn't even going to bring it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there is a level of discomfort that you get. Like, you know, traveling is, or going to settle in another country is already very discomfortable. Yeah. So, like, it, it makes sense that you want to bond with your community. I think back in the days with when we talk about those people it's more so they didn't have a choice some of them were refugees so they went to where they knew and maybe the criticism that we have with expats here is like you have a choice because you come with a comfortable living mm -hmm. and but you still make the choice to still in well, i guess it's a privilege to live in a comfortable area like this <laughs> i think that might be the small criticism but that's a whole this is a different but discussion. I, I think we shouldn't criticize anyone for want to feel at home and if it, this is where you feel at home then Taudin is the place where you feel yeah. at home yeah, or yeah, yeah. also like the other vietnamese or chinese communities outside of uh, china and vietnam they also feel more at home if they are Indeed forming tech. a community <laughs> <laughs> like houston texas right there's a massive yeah, yeah. vietnamese community yeah. and they all yeah. i mean i've interviewed people from like tam yeah. Le, and she's like yeah i mean I, my dentist was vietnamese like yeah. my yeah. like you know we, we hung out with vietnamese people the, the so texas community is huge I, I i'm part of them but like it's uh it's i mean i'm part i i, I was doing a uh, leadership camps but like the reason why they went to texas is because the weather is exactly yeah the same. yeah right. that's <laughs> Yeah, when, you, yeah. when you get there it's Vietnam <laughs> it's really interesting hot and steamy yeah, yeah. so it's completely fine I think uh, and then you try to have that real Vietnamese experience by moving to D4 yeah and, and uh, again I don't want to be like so I remember when we first came here and we met someone who shall remain nameless and he's like lived in D7 and, and he's like you live in D4? Why? I would <laughs> never live anywhere but D7. And we were like, Ugh, we live in D4. It's authentic. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that wasn't the reason, but yeah. partly that was the reason. And it, I do not regret living there. It was amazing. I could never go back there, though. It's D4 is dirty. It's loud. It's yeah. noisy. We had a school across the road from us that would wake up at 6 a.m. every yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we were teachers, so we had a different schedule. So we weren't waking up at 6 a.m., but we were woken up at 6 a.m. Yeah. Then we moved to another building where we didn't realize they hadn't finished the building. Yeah. So a few weeks after we moved in, they started finishing the roof. <laughs> so we had construction for, like, months yeah, above yeah. us, next to us, like, drills, hammering. Like, it was... So all of that stuff wind, grinds you down. That's why I didn't like it, basically. It was, like, mm -hmm. noisy, dirty. Yeah, um, I didn't... To put it in perspective, like you've been here for six years and I think Vietnam has changed a lot too. Oh, massively, yeah. I think I think in 2015, 16, there was mm. a construction everywhere. There's still construction still everywhere. Still construction <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> still construction like, everywhere. There's that curse of the, the construction. Yeah. Do you realize this? Every time we, like today is a, is a good day, but usually every time we start a podcast or anything like this, outside of my place, there is construction. There but the other thing, sorry, just to go back to the whole Taudi and expat things as well, it's like, there's Vietnamese people that live here as well. Yeah. And there's also Japanese, Indian, Korean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so I, I wanted to ask you a question because like the energy in Wellington is very different from the one here in, in Saigon. <laughs> I mean, if, have you been to New Zealand before? Not yet, New but Ze I heard of it. Yeah, New Zealand, like picture the, the quiet part of the Lords of the Rings and that's literally the energy that is there. Like yeah. there is, it's just good vibes. And so how was the transition? I mean, you said that you didn't like it. But yeah. So how do you see now the that craziness of Vietnam and how do you equate it to, to Wellington? So you can't equate it. <laughs> it's so different. I mean, so, but like anything, right, there's pros and cons. So uh, we loved Wellington, but at the same time, it's, 
at the arse end of the world, right? It's as far away from anywhere as possible. Yeah, yeah. My wife's from America. I'm from Scotland. So to get home is like a two-day event yeah. just to get there and then a two-day event back. So if you want to go home, that's four days yeah. of just <laughs> right? Um, also as well, like everything closes at five o'clock in Wellington. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah, like the city shuts down. I've never been in a city like that, but yeah. yeah. So it's like, what do we do now? It's just kind of like the restaurants and bars would obviously be open, but you're not doing that every night. Yeah, it's super yeah. expensive as well. Yeah, this sounds like such an old man thing, but like at one point, because tomatoes are seasonal, the price of tomatoes would go up to like ten dollars a kilo. Oh shit! Yeah, with, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And avocados would be like five dollars for one avocado. Mm. Again, romanticize that. Oh my god, Wellington is <laughs> the most beautiful place in the world. It's done, it's got its challenges, right? Yeah, and yeah. it's kind of like you can't really get anywhere. It's the, in this harbor. The, the, south of Wellington is mm -hmm. uh, uh, the Cook Strait. So the south of Wellington is the South Island. So if you want to go south, you got to get on a plane or a ferry yeah, to yeah. go there. If you want to go north, you've got to go over the Rimatuckers, so you've got to have a car or you've got to fly. Yeah. So it's got its own challenges as well. And what we loved about Saigon is the energy. Things are open. It's, life is on the street mm -hmm. here. There's yeah. always a buzz. There's always things happening. There's always things mm -hmm. going on. So we do, that's kind of, I guess, where the transition came. Is like we just love mm -hmm. the energy and we, we're very social people. We like to go out. We like to hang out. We like to be doing things. And so, yeah, yeah. that's kind of where that transition of I love saigon i guess uh, yeah, yeah and that's where then the podcast came in was kind of like starting to accept i guess that we lived here and accept that like this is our home now and then start to just love everything about mm -hmm. it and love the people and then that's where then the podcast came from that yeah i think we all have to go through that uh, transition period to get used to a new place and what actually encouraged you to to actually start a podcast and talk about what you are talking about because <laughs> well, your topics are very broad as well what i what i see but i want to hear from you really what um, well so what it started from boldham right so what it was me my my wife and i had almost the uh, exact same schedule and we're a very strange couple that we really like hanging out with each other so we <laughs> some couples can be really independent we are like mm -hmm. really just hang out with each other all the time and we really enjoy each other's company and so schedules changed. I had Sunday off and she worked on a Sunday and most of my friends worked on a Sunday as well. So I had nothing to do. And then we got Biscuit, but she, as you can see, she just sleeps all day. <laughs> so I was just really bored on a Sunday. And the, the thing was as well, I didn't, you know what it's like in, in Saigon, right? The really, the only thing to do a lot of the time is go out and drink. <laughs> yeah. and I didn't want to do that yeah. you know because I could have easily gone out and be like yeah we'll go I'll meet you in a bar and stuff but yeah. I've consciously didn't suggest to people like hey let's go meet in a bar you know or hang out because one my wife would finish work at like six or seven and then I'd be wasted by that time probably <laughs> which is no fun right so so I was bored I wanted a hobby basically and I loved podcasting I'd always loved podcasting since I was uh, in university really the start of podcasting was like Ricky Gervais I don't know if you know the yeah, Ricky yeah. Gervais Carl Pilkington Stephen Merchant they are like the pod fathers as I call them um, and you, as you know podcasting it's got a low barrier to entry you just need a microphone at its most basic like yeah. depending <laughs> how much you want to get involved and so I was like I'm going to start a podcast and then learning more about the interesting people that lived here and one of the things i realized was when you are a teacher yourself you only kind of meet other teachers but you start to realize that a lot of them have 
like everyone has layers right and have much so i was sure. meeting people yeah. like that uh, were making stuff from leather they were comedians musicians like they weren't just a teacher yeah you know and so i wanted to get to know people on that deeper level so i'd met jk hobson who's well-known comedian here um and, and right away i was like i want to know more about him because he'd been in a thrash metal band back in like <laughs> the day and stuff like a pretty well-known thrash metal band he had big dreadlocks and um and then now he was a comedian but again he was an english teacher so a massive chunk of them are english teachers but we never talk about that because it's just like that's not like what i want to talk about like yeah. tell me more it's about a side job yeah. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so anyway i interviewed jk hobson and then from there it just kind of i remember then i was reading my phone I was reading the guardian and there was an article about digital nomads in saigon uh-huh. written by this guy called greg lee so i like looked him up found him he was in saigon he was a digital <laughs> nomad contacted him and i was like hey i'm doing this new podcast you want to be on so he came on and then it just kind of like spiraled from there i guess wow. oh, nice so you just like randomly pick people that you are interested in and have a talk basically yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um how did you evolve like from there so first was the podcast and then later on you started to do comedy shows how did that came yeah well so comedy is just something i'd always loved like my whole life and doing stand-up comedy was something i'd wanted to do for years i always say i I wanted to do it for seven years so for for about seven years before i did comedy my wife and i we would always go to comedy shows we we, both of us have always loved stand-up comedy since we met and you know i'd go to shows and i'd be like i want to do that like i want to be up there i want to like you know and i'd be doing bits in my head and i even it got to the point when we were in new zealand we would go to open mic nights i had stuff written down in my pocket and i could not get on stage like i just couldn't do it so even though by this point i was more confident in myself i did public speaking i would go out to events for my job and do public speaking in front of hundreds of people no problem but doing stand-up comedy was like a step too far. I just could not do it. So the shy boy came back. Yeah, absolutely. Like my yeah. stomach was like, I just was like, I can't do it. My yeah. wife, and she's so encouraging. She's like, oh, when are you going to do it? I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So we'd go to these shows and I just would walk, we'd just watch and I wouldn't do it. And then Saigon, same thing happened in the beginning. And part of the reason with 7 Million Bikes, we provide entertainment because we remember when we first got here we could never find anything to do it's really difficult again you're in a new country a new new environment yeah a new language as well so you end up just drinking beer half the time because there's nothing else to do right like well come on go drink beer but then someone started putting on shows at emergency room we were just talking to matt ryan just a couple of days ago matt ryan your indica and union jacks Mm -hmm. he had a bar called emergency room back in the day just down at pastoral street a really really fun bar so they started doing open mic nights so again as soon as we saw that we started going to them watching them Mm -hmm. and then the comedy scene started um kind of flourishing here in saigon so then there was like uh saigon funny people came along who jk hobson was part of they were putting on shows and then it was ben betterby and comedy saigon and so comedy was starting to become a bigger thing here mm-hmm. in saigon and so obviously my interest was peaked again and was going to these shows <laughs> and i was like i want to do this i want to do this so again got to the stage where i started telling my friend and telling adrian so i started writing stuff down started thinking a bit and we went to indica for a monday night open mic which has just restarted I had a bit in my pocket and uh there was about four people there that night and mm. so Angie, who was a host, got up. She did some comedy. I think one other person came up. 
And then Angie got back up and she's like, well, this, this is our show. Like, there's, there's no one else is here. Does anyone else want to come up? You know, like, just kind of open, because it's open mic. And so that was like me. That was, I was like, I do. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. It's got, I had the bits in my pocket. So I got up, told my first joke, then completely forgot what I was going to say. So I had to get my notes out immediately. But, I, you know, open mic, you're, you're, yeah. it's okay to do that. So I did my five minutes and uh, it went pretty well. People laughed and... And then that was just once I'd broken that barrier, that was me just like hooked, you know. So the first yeah. first few times I did that, I remember wanting to throw up. I was so terrified. <laughs> it was the most nerve-wracking thing in my life. I remember it was the second or third show I did. I was sitting there like just tapping my foot and like just feeling horrible. And uh-huh. But I do always like to kind of push myself. I do like to try new things like going to the summer camp and things like that. Like I'm not scared to throw myself out there. So even yeah. if I feel like shit and it feels yeah. horrible, I'm quite... I'm quite. I'm open to just doing it anyway. So then it's just like anything. The more you do it, you you becomes easier. But after this lockdown, we hadn't done any comedy in person for like five months. Mm-hmm. So when I did my first in person comedy show, uh, Indica again, open mic night, I was still my knee was like kind of shaking and I was still a bit really <laughs> nervous. So, but then you just gotta keep doing it. I really admire stand-up comedians because I had a friend in Amsterdam who was um, starting in stand-up comedy and I see on him and I know from him that how nerve-wracking is the whole experience and at the beginning Mm. it's hard to be natural even. (laughs) So how's your growth process in in terms of stand-up comedy? What did you do to actually keep improving yourself? Uh, You just have to keep performing it's the number one thing so we were doing comedy shows online during lockdown i had a friend from canada perform called lars calio who he was on the podcast way back he was in vietnam at the Mm -hmm. time doing stand-up comedy he came on to this online comedy show that we did and he was just so funny but without even doing anything he was just so funny and i was just in awe watching him and so afterwards i was like how did you do that and he's just like i've performed like twenty-five thousand times in my career because he's been doing it for 20 years but it was like thousands and thousands of times and he's like you just have to perform that's the biggest thing when i'm regularly performing when shows are on and when i have the time as well you just get up on stage and you just own the stage and it's but then now like i said i hadn't performed on stage for five months (laughs) so when i got back up i didn't really get many laughs it was pretty bad my timing was all off my knee was shaking (laughs) so it's just practice like it really is so what's your count right now what's what your count like how many am i up to 135 i keep count <laughs> 135 stand up yeah. physical no that like includes online, online as well. yeah. yeah that's amazing i do keep count actually and yeah I, every time i do a show I, I write it down i take uh, notes of what i've said as well so i can remember what i've said 138 we're up to wow, 138 so. in, in the span of how long since 2019, so it's not that many. Wow, yeah, so well done. Two years, so that's... I, I, I don't perform as much as I should. 138 in two years, that's pretty good already, no? Some people uh, will be a lot more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I heard from other podcasts as like, well. I'm like, so inspired right crazy now. amount. Uh, I find it difficult to balance podcast and comedy. So, actually, do you bring in some of that comedy in the podcast? And do you bring some... Not really, you, no. You try to, to keep it very segregated, I, yeah? I don't try and keep it segregated, but it's just two different things. And yeah. um, I remember talking to someone about this a long time ago, and they were like, you can be multifaceted. Don't mm-hmm. pigeonhole yourself. And that mm-hmm. really stuck with me. I was like, oh, 
yeah well you can be a comedian and you can be a podcaster yeah, they don't need to sense. be the same yeah so that really helped me so the podcast you know some of them are so emotional and so deep yeah so i i just be myself so if i come across as funny then that's good but i don't try and do jokes yeah. and things like this but i am starting yeah. a new podcast soon that's going to be comedy related oh yeah. wow that's mm. exciting do we so, have a name already yeah we do it's called <laughs> did that really happen oh, oh. i see <laughs> so i've already lined up the first few guests so i'm gonna uh play a comedian's joke well they're gonna give me one of their jokes and then i'm gonna ask them did that really happen i see and if the answer is yes then they explain what was the real story behind the joke know, and if the answer is no well then they just explain how they came up with that joke i would hear comedians and you've probably heard comedians tell these things on stage yeah. that are just so ridiculous and you're wondering <laughs> and you're wondering right like, did that really happen <laughs> that's a good premise. and so often i would then ask comedians if i met them i remember even in new zealand met this comedian after his show i was not doing comedy just watching and i was literally like did that really happen oh, yeah. and he's like yeah and then he tells you the story about whatever it was yeah. i can't remember and yeah. jk hobson had the same thing as well even to this day when i see my friends do comedy yeah and i'll be like after the show like did that really happen it's like yeah how could i make that up like yeah, literally yeah, yeah. how could i make that up and i'm like wow so that's what comedians do we take what happens in real life to all of us and then we're just able to tell it in a, yeah, in a yeah. funny way so in one part for it to be a good comedian we know that practice that's number one practice um, for everything but as any artist we always have to find our own style our voice our way of doing it and how you personally find your own style for stand-up comedy still working on it yeah <laughs> what would be your style well so it is an interesting question and i think that's what held me back in the beginning right because so you practice things in your head before it ever got on stage and you're like how is this gonna sound how am i gonna sound on stage because i didn't want to sound like corny or cheesy or you know like forced mm-hmm. yeah like so be afraid of other people's judgment in that uh, are you a psychologist or something <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you asked me you want to do a podcast and i'm getting a free psychology do you want to lie down <laughs> yeah yeah we're gonna coach you all lie down so, tell me. so i had some issues with my mum, and then that was, uh, so i started doing comedy to get rid of no um but yeah i guess you could say what what did you say fear of being judged yeah of course yeah, yeah. so yeah i guess yeah. right As i think it's have. every artist at the beginning that's I, I the, think, the yeah. biggest thing that how other people would perceive our I'm, performance not even an, an artist just every human being every we're human all being, we're yeah. always scared <laughs> of being judged right every interaction we have we're always kind of thinking about yeah yeah what people place. think of us when I'm, I'm i'm hearing your story and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling so inspired because i started with public speaking too i thought like public speaking was gonna was a good entry point to stand-up comedy but I feel like stand-up comedy is that point of vulnerability that is the highest because you're supposed to go deep into someone's laughter, you know? Like, if you can get that laugh, it's super sensitive. The thing that makes stand-up comedy so different to any other kind of art is you need an immediate reaction. And an immediate reaction, if I say something and you don't laugh or the audience doesn't laugh, it's the most awkward thing in the world. That's what's terrifying. If you're performing music, go and watch someone perform music. You don't... People clap at the end, right? But you don't need that like they're not after yeah. every chorus like yeah good job <laughs> you nailed that you're like yeah. you know what i mean so with comedy you just need the immediate reaction so every yeah. time super but sensitive talking about voice that was what the biggest barrier was i just realized my voice was just me because bill hicks said it as well you just have to be yourself because no one else can be you mm. yeah exactly so don't worry about 
who you are on stage just be yourself and so as you can tell, I'm a pretty like affable, chatty person. <laughs> <They're being> Scottish, <laughs> you can't stop talking. So I think what the biggest thing is, and I see this in every new comic, right? They all just think that you need to get up on stage and tell a story. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did in the beginning. You just get up and you go, ah, this funny thing happened to me. But it's not funny to other people. <laughs> and you need to have constant laughter throughout to be a stand-up comedian, think of yeah. any comedian, you need like joke, 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 yeah. joke, you yeah. need laughter. So in the beginning, I would probably tell more stories. And I remember seeing one person tell a 10-minute story with no jokes for one punchline and the punchline wasn't funny. <laughs> <laughs> so you're listening for 10 minutes yeah. of every detail of this person's story. And in their head, they obviously think it's like the best thing ever. Yeah, yeah. And you're just sitting there like, this, this is terrible. Wow, so that's where you start up. to evolve your voice as you start to realize and, and uh, getting advice from other comedians as well is like you need to tighten everything you need to be economical with your words and i'm still practice that and now what you'll do is i'll go to open mic night with an idea and you just kind of spew the idea out mm. and then maybe you'll take one line from this idea that you've spewed out yeah and if that one line is the one that was funny that got the yeah. laugh yeah yeah and then you're like, okay, that's the joke. And sometimes the joke is not what you think it is. Sometimes mm. I, I've done open mic nights where I've said something off the top of my head and it gets the biggest laugh. So I'm like, oh, that's the joke. And then what you do is you take all these little jokes yeah. and you put them all together. So then when you're going to do like a, you know, I did like a I headliner see. set online, which was meant to be in person, but I did like an hour of comedy. And it was just an hour of these bits that are all kind of put together. So that's how you find your voice. But I'm still trying to find it because my hero is Bill Hicks and George Carlin. And they talk about deep and meaningful topics, like governmental kind of level. Yeah. Governmental level. Like deep topics. But they make it funny, but they make you think, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, Like, you know, these comedians that really make you think. And that's who I wanted to be. I don't think that's the comedian I've been. But now because of like the anti-vaxxers and stuff like this, I'm starting to find my voice more about being pro-science and mm-hmm. seeing so many idiots in the world these days. <laughs> I'm now starting to get a bit more, you know, angry. Yeah. I don't know yeah. about angry, but a bit more like, you know, starting to find like willing to like try and use my comedic voice to like make Point out. points of view. Yeah. 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 yeah, so learning what you are really passionate about in terms of topics, I think that's when as a comedian you're becoming more authentic because you start to speak up about things that you care about and when your audience also start to relate with you as a human being, I think that's a, it's a really deep connection that you're going to have with your audience. Well, because you know when you go to a comedy show and a comedian says something that you're like, I was thinking that, but I didn't know how to say it. Yeah, exactly. That's the goal. I don't know if I've ever gotten there yet. I think so with some little bits, but that's the goal. That's what you want. That's the most fun when you go to a comedy show and a comedian Mm. says something (laughs) and you're like, I was thinking that, but I didn't know how to say it. Or he said it in a different way. And then you're, Mm -hmm. and that's when you relate with the comedian. That's, that's the ultimate goal, I think, is what you want. Yeah, it's such a hard job. Being authentic, but at the same time, being economical with your words, also <laughs> thinking about whether people laugh or not laugh. <laughs> it's all practice. Timing as well. Yeah. Timing, timing. timing as well. So, and so, it, has it um, happened that it went really, really bad? Oh, yeah. Monday, <laughs> like, last week? Yeah, last week. <laughs> like, yeah. like, how did you handle that? 
I've been able to just push through that. So sometimes when you go to a comedy show and you see a comedian make a joke and it doesn't get a laugh, they can make it kind of awkward, you know? Yeah, yeah. When a comedian says like, oh, you didn't find that funny or <laughs> or, or maybe they look hurt, you know? They're, yeah, yeah. So you feel for them, right? You're like, oh, that, that person now feels really bad like because we didn't laugh at the joke. That can make the whole experience for everyone kind of awkward. Because of my background in public speaking i used to do face-to-face fundraising on the street in australia getting people to sign up for charity Mm -hmm. yeah so i'm very used to rejection like 90 percent of that job is people walking by you and and ignoring you i learned to deal with that you don't really care about it so when my jokes don't get a laugh i've kind of got this ability to just carry on i see and move to the next one and not let it linger too much yeah so that's always kind of helped me i'm never just like a deer in the headlights like oh that didn't work Oh, they didn't laugh or like, oh, why did you not understand that? You know what I mean? Like, I just move on to the next one. Yeah. And so that kind of helps, you know. So inspiring. Yeah. So inspiring. We also have to learn uh, from our failures to actually be a <laughs> better version as a comedian or anyone yeah. else. And um, from this, I wonder, like, what's your vision for your own development, not only as a comedian, but also for the podcast and also for the whole 7 million bikes uh, <laughs> Empire. Uh, <laughs> Empire, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I should know. I need to get some proper goals. Everything's been quite organic so yeah. far. It happened quite naturally. So I've not really sat down and thought like, this is where I want to be. I'm just mm-hmm. kind of letting it play out naturally right mm-hmm. now. I guess if you really think about it, we talked about it in the beginning, we're providing English language entertainment. Yeah. So not just for expats, we obviously have a massive Vietnamese population who are speaking English. They want mm-hmm. Western style entertainment. Yeah. They want comedy shows. So I guess to be the number one English language entertainment provider in Vietnam, I don't know where that's going to go though. I don't have any like kind of specific yeah. goals or what that means or any numbers of like this amount of shows or this or that or that. Just like keep doing what we're doing, keep doing it well. Yeah. Then uh, let me then ask it this way, what's kind of the purpose uh, behind what you are doing like all of them provide entertainment i just enjoy Mm -hmm. making people laugh i enjoy meeting new people it's kind of one of these things like you realize you have an uh, a skill and then you're like Mm -hmm. oh well i might as well use this skill you know so uh, you kind of realize oh i can organize events like a lot of the things i do i don't overthink it or even really think about it until after and then i'm like oh (laughs) oh yeah i put on that event that was pretty cool oh yeah that took Mm-hmm. skill to do that you know like that management organization promotion marketing yeah all of these things i don't really think about it at the time yeah. and then afterwards and then i'm like oh yeah it's really inspiring though like you are not the first person i meet that who is like really this doer personality you just like, get the idea and then go for it and i'm kind of the opposite i don't know about you to tracy but i always had to sit on it a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> before i make that decision to, to go for it so my wife and i were the polar opposite and she's like you and that provides a nice balance but i am a doer and i think that can be good and bad because sometimes yeah. I'll just like I just do it without thinking yeah whereas if my wife if I have an idea she'll be like well what about this and have you thought about that and then this and so she freely admits that she will be held back from doing things because she mm-hmm. overthinks it and so many people are like that and it's called paralysis by analysis yeah so you, you analyze things so much you paralyze yourself because yeah. you're just like you think too much and then don't yeah. do anything 
Whereas I'm like the complete opposite <laughs> where I don't think at all and just do it. Yeah. Thankfully, so far it's worked out, but maybe one time I'll get tripped up and yeah. just fuck up. But so so who, is, who is around you to help, like, except your wife, obviously? Like, who is part of 7 million bikes that is providing you a support system? It's pretty much just me and my yeah. wife. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've had so much support, though, from people. You know, Devin Gray, I have to give so much to him. Devin Gray is a comedian who's yeah. just recently moved to to Germany and got engaged so congratulations, congratulations Devin he's just given so much support over the last year yeah. Tommy Pruchinski as well these guys have just uh, Wayne Wanyi West there's some people within the scene have just given me so much support I couldn't actually probably be where I am or doing what I'm doing I would have probably yeah. given up a long time yeah. ago without the support of people like yeah Devin Tommy yeah. so in the near future do you want to bring in people into 7 million bikes or do you still want to be just a no I'm dying to that's the next step <laughs> yeah I need to the plan next year is to start hiring some staff yeah and you know everything with the lockdown this year has thrown everything up in the air mm. so next year yeah i want to bring in like someone to do more of the as you will know the editing and yeah. outsource <laughs> and things like this yeah, yeah and at the start of the year i was starting to outsource stuff and then the lockdown all happened so yeah. it all went back so one of the biggest things with seven million bikes now i'm actually making podcasts for other people now i see yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. so i'm now uh onto my third podcast client yeah, 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 yes yeah. i'm yeah. now making congratulations thank yeah. you very much yeah <laughs> that's mostly the biggest kind of thing in terms of like as a business is making podcasts for other people i'm really curious like how do you gain the energy to do all of this that's one and then how do you manage the stress with all of this i'm looking at what you are doing hearing all of this and like i will probably break down and then get the, bur get the burnout like after a month or something how do you tackle the stress and then how how you gain your balance back let's uh, say to do or better you have a balance that's another question I have no idea I have no yeah. idea the answer to that question one I don't find it stressful I guess is the biggest thing I just love it mm. I've kind of always had a lot of energy so I'm just naturally quite I do I don't know I mean I couldn't do any of this without my wife though like literally I couldn't do any of it without her she provides the balance she <laughs> provides the support she picks me up when I am stressed or when I am down she always provides balance to what I'm doing when I'm when I'm too high she'll bring me down and when I'm too low she'll pick me up you know yeah, so yeah. she's the pole yeah yeah pretty yeah definitely yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's amazing nice. to hear to have such a nice support yeah support system is very important I mean like shout out to your wife yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> but yeah you could try and find balance and everything one of the things that helped me was I had a sales job where and I did a Tony Robbins course where you focus on internal locus of control mm-hmm I can tell I have a very strong internal locus of control. So mm -hmm. I don't, nothing external affects really too much what I do because I know that it's all about what I do mm -hmm. and how I react to situations. So once you have a strong internal locus of control, it makes everything much, much easier. Yeah. And I learned that really from the, like doing the sales job, 100% commission. So you're entirely reliant on, yeah. you know, your yourself for your income. And so that manifests its way in things like one of my comedy shows. I had a photographer book, which was like a big deal. And before I got there, the photographer messaged me and he's like, the guy that's here says that there's no show tonight. And I'm like, oh, there's absolutely a show tonight. We have it every month at the same venue in the same spot. And I get there. The manager hadn't shown up. It was the delivery guy was there who didn't speak English. 
There was no aircon on, no electricity. The cash register was locked. There was people were already there. Mm-hmm. The venue, the bar wasn't set up at all for the show. So again, you could show up and be like, fuck, and yeah. get angry and all of that. But I just have a very positive mindset that I'm like, okay, what do we do? All right, Wayne, can you help this? Can you do it? So I ended up like pouring pints. We, uh, the, yeah. the cash <laughs> register was locked. Oh, the, the, the owner was in Nya Bay. So he was like an hour away and I'm calling him and I'm like, the manager's not showing up. So I'm having to use my own money. I had to go send someone to go and buy soda water because they didn't <laughs> have soda water in. But you're just kind of like, okay, so how do we solve this problem, right? Yeah, not yeah. like dwell on like what's gone wrong. Okay, yeah. how do we solve it? So we're like, quick, get the aircon on, change the seats. You go buy soda water. I'm gonna, I know I'm a, I used to be a barman. I'll pour pints. Like, yeah. And we ended up just having an unbelievable show and there's just no problem. So if you just have that solution focused positive mindset nothing's really a problem right i love it that's an important message i think I, yeah. for the listeners for us yeah. as well to remind ourselves that we always have control yeah over our circumstances i mean yeah we cannot uh, if you have control of your emotions yeah you yeah. control how you feel about a situation and it's not exactly. easy but so the, i know I, I, I managed the tour company in, in Toronto for a long time with all the international schools and that's how we train people like you know it's just your circle of influence and then just be solution focused mm-hmm. like because something is going to happen on the tour like you know a bus is going to break down some you know vendors are not going to show up you you show up at the hotels and none of the rooms are ready and you have to deal with it you have yeah. to entertain you have to be like okay it's part of the it's part of the show <laughs> you know the, <laughs> the show must go on and, and uh, it, it's everything you just said is like textbook uh, tour guide (laughs) (laughs) training (laughs) just get things going yeah I also want to understand how do you deal with the fear when you start something new we all have some fear when there is something new that we haven't done before and then you have done so many of that already I'm asking you this so the listeners can also get some inspiration of you know uh, they can get over that fear and then start their own things as much as you did you just have to do it yeah like there's, there's literally you just have to do it i'm not making that like that's easy like i talked about like me getting on stage for the first time took me seven years to do comedy it's terrifying and it's difficult but at the end of the day you just have to do it you know and yeah it's the only way you can get by <laughs> really yeah, yeah. you have to if you have to yeah. dare to jump and then like after that i think it's consistency like once you break the seal like everything you said i've, I've been like you know really inspired once i broke the seal of comedy it's like okay you just yeah yeah, yeah. go ahead it's a lot and do about it. that yeah. do you feel balanced today yes what brings you that joy and that balance so i'm 39 now i'm nearly 40 and i've lived a varied life i've done loads of different jobs had ups and downs and I just feel it like balanced in my life and man this sounds so like kind of cheesy but being married like you (laughs) kind of feel complete like I I love my wife and we've been together for nearly 10 years now and we have a really happy life together and and she also is uh, the source of most of my comedy in terms of she writes my jokes she's also really really funny so she tell yourself she wouldn't get on stage but i often come up with a kernel of an idea or the idea of a joke and then she'll be like oh you should do it like this or you do it like that and so she's my partner in comedy my partner and everything like she's a a amazing person for me it makes sense all the things that you've said you do feel balanced because you have this good way of thinking solution driven type of thinking so when there is a problem you're more focused on how do i solve that problem not not into the dwelling into the negativity so 
it makes sense for me. You don't have to be like doing five yeah. hours of yoga every day. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, yoga does help, and it's good. <laughs> yes. if that's what finds your balance, but, I don't have time for yoga. I would love to yeah, do it. But you have those systems <laughs> in place that makes you um, that that makes you balance, and that's that's what we we want to know. And that's that's perfect. And you know, relationships as well with everyone. Like I mentioned, we're here earlier. I still talk to my best friends from back home. Mm-hmm. I'm always on Bloody Messenger. I'm always reaching out to people. I love being around people, talking to them, making relationships, being on your podcast, talking yeah. to you guys. I love it. <laughs> and you thrive on that and you get energy from it. If you're an introvert and you're listening to this and you're like, I don't want to be around people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obviously not an introvert. So it's different for everyone. But yeah. that, that part, that's part of yeah. it as well. Yeah. I, I understand. Also knowing your energy and managing it that way. And for you, if that's what brings you energy, then that's what you're going to do reaching yeah. out to people <laughs> thank you for this opportunity to be able to explain to people whoever is listening maybe a bit more about me because i think a lot of people like you've kind of said maybe see my name or see me doing comedy or yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever but they don't really know it's a, it, who the real yeah. me is yeah it's yeah. interesting to see the evolution too because I've, i've been very much outside the expat community for the past two years and a half that i've been here but i've can i can see increasingly how you are becoming the centerpiece of the expat community it's especially in terms of entertainment so just one of the last questions how do you want to be remembered at the end of your life oh my god what (laughs) maybe you should lie down for that question (laughs) (laughs) how do you want to be remembered at the end of your life (laughs) i want to live forever no i'm kidding (laughs) Uh, <laughs> I mean, just as a good person, right? That's all you want to be remembered as, like, just a good person. That's yeah. all. I don't. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't I like have to it. be more complicated than yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now it's your chance, actually, to talk to the audience, talk to the universe. The way what you do, you want to take seven million bikes or anything related to what you want. Go ahead. We've been talking for an hour and 20 minutes and now you want me to... I've <laughs> <laughs> said it all. I don't have anything yeah. more to say. Yeah. Any, anything else you want to add or anything else that you want to project to 2022? Just like, you know, give us your... If you want. To anyone listening, come to shows. Get out. I know it's difficult right now as well. With, we're still all coming to terms with the new normal. If you can, come to a show, support it. Support anyone who's doing comedy. Go to a comedy show. Listen to the podcast. You know, the biggest thing is just getting people to do stuff, you know. So just (laughs) do. Go out. Enjoy a show. Have fun. That's really nice. Yeah. You also do a creative networking event every month. Is that right? Yeah. We've been doing it online. And then there's going to be a first one next week in person. Come. So that's that's great. We'll just go, yeah, the website, 7millionbikes.com. There's the calendar of events is on there. Go on Facebook, Instagram. It's great to focus on the, the physical aspect, like all those events. I'm really excited for everything that you're doing. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Yeah. No, thank you. It makes me feel thank so you. good. It might come across as like overconfident or too cocky, which I don't try and be at all. And I definitely have my moments where I'm like, fuck this shit. <laughs> I'm not doing another comedy show. I'm not doing any more of this stuff. Like, you have your down moments, and then when comments like yours right now, honestly, you, they make my day, my week. I will not forget Perfect, yeah. what you've just said to me. That stuff keeps me going. When yeah, you, yeah. I remember when someone tells me, you inspired me, or you've motivated me, yeah. or you're this, and then that's like, man, yeah, you got to keep doing what you're doing. Because like, it's, <laughs> it's like, that's like, that, that's yeah. the food that fueled you, really. Yeah, is yeah, yeah. So I, thank I you. Same, same, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much, Neil. Thank you. So happy, ha- so happy to have you. Yeah, thank you very much. I'll see you guys at an event and a show soon. Yeah. Yes. Next week. 
Thanks, Neil. Cheers. All good. Thank you, Neil. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Vietnam. If you like this episode, become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. Also by sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.